Hi, everybody. This is Mike DiNapoli with Podcast Oregon, and I'm here at the Indio Expo at the Portland Expo Center, and I'm here with uh, Hybrid Tech founder Dan Gustafik. Hi, Dan. Welcome. Thank you. So uh, tell us what brought you out to the uh, Indio Expo today. Well, it's kind of part of our uh, speaking tour. You know, we get invited to a lot of places now and uh, just to talk about cannabis systems, cannabis engineering, cannabis design, and um, that's kind of one of the big things since we've done so much in the sector. It's uh, people getting educated about what works, what doesn't, uh, from a kind of a real-world, boots-in-the-ground perspective, and, of course, design perspective as well. And that hybrid tech is an engineering firm then? Yes. So our main claim to fame is we actually have licensed mechanical, electrical, architectural, structural engineers, and we do uh, basically all the design-build process work on different facilities. So the cannabis industry is evolving rapidly, and more and more people are needing uh, advanced engineering and architectural drawings for the city to open up their dispensaries and uh, their their uh, processing facilities. What are some of the challenges that you, they're running into with the cities? Ah, well, actually, there's a, the funny part about this is they've actually always needed those services. They just didn't know they needed those services. So for the first time, really, cannabis entrepreneurs are running smack dab to the reality that every other industry faces, where if you need to build a wall, you need to go through plan review. And if you're building that wall, you normally should have an architect design that system and stamp it. There's very interesting steps that anyone who develops any building understands and has to be forced through at some point in time. Cannabis is outside of that realm in the fact that they've been doing non-permitted work for so long, they've gotten used to this equation. Right. And this actually is not normal. We've, on the other hand, though, been in the sector for 19 years now, so we've been uh, into the chewy center of reality in cannabis. And it's unfortunate that um, a lot of people in it are failing due to the fact that they can't come up to the new code standards. Right. They can't upgrade their facilities. They don't understand the process. And we see a lot of our... Uh, clients who happen to be, you know, great cultivars who've been in the industry for a long time, unfortunately uh, failing because of this. So, yeah, it, it's always been there. Interesting. It's just now being fully recognized. Right. The minute you have rec, you have to uh, have compliance or you will not get your license. It's that straightforward. The states and the municipalities have been really hard on some of these operations and have shut them down for non-compliance for things as simple as security. Well, the big one's the fire marshal. So when you say shut down, I mean, there's two different levels of shut down. One is shut down as in the liquor board basically pulls your license or whoever the, the entity controlling the licensure in that state happens to be. But the real one that actually chains up your doors is the fire marshal. Hmm. And that's the one that terrifies most people for good reason. The fire marshal brings with it the ability to actually put a cease and desist on your entire operation that you have to comply with. If you don't comply, there actually is the sheriffs with some chains, and you literally can't run. So it, it puts a very, it puts a lot of cultivars in a very hard place, realizing that what they did originally maybe wasn't what they should have done. Right. But it was what they had to do at the moment because they couldn't get a permit from the JHA. And because of that, they basically did what they had to do. And then now that it is legal and above board and permitted, now that the fire marshal is there, a lot of people aren't understanding that they have to change the way they look at the, their worldview to realizing the authorities now, well, you know, <laughs> they want them to succeed. Right. And yes, it, it is self-motivation due to the fact that taxation is uh, involved. 
However, it is how it works everywhere else. Of course, they those uh, those officials are paid through tax dollars, and right. they want to make sure those tax dollars are flowing. Cannabis is now an industry for America. It's becoming an industry across America. So, what what do you see? Um, if if you have experience with this, some of the trade unions, like our our mechanical contractors and our electrical contractors, um, I know you're from an engineering standpoint, mm-hmm. but uh, there are more opportunities for these contractors to work in the cannabis industry, but yet it's still federally illegal on a lot uh, of levels. So, uh, well, that, h- how do we navigate that? That is a very interesting uh, thing that you bring up. I, uh, so I guess there's some background you may not be aware of with us. Uh, we originally were members of the IBW, the UA, and the Smart Network. So mm-hmm. when we first started, Hybrid Tech in its current version, uh, this is the third version of this company, third name, uh, we've changed scope quite often. We originally were a design-built contracting company, and we were vertically integrated with the unions. We sure. actually deployed uh, the IBW being in main, the main union that we worked on. And the current iteration of the company came from the actual business manager of Portland. We actually sat down with the, the strongest union in the U.S. that I'm aware of, which is the largest as well, is the IBW Local 48 business manager, Gary Young. Mm-hmm. And during a conference with him and his assistant business manager, we pulled out the prints for a mammoth facility in Canada and said, this is what just happened. This is coming to your neck of the woods. What do you think? He said, I'm 100% behind it. We want our members working on it, and we'll do everything we can to support it. And from there, he then convinced the UA and the SMW, or the Sheet Metal Workers Union, excuse me, and they all hopped on board, including their political action campaigns, everything. It, yeah. puts, it put the entire ball in motion. So organized labor, I think most people don't realize how what an impact they can have. And as far as the federally legal thing, they actually don't have a problem with that at all. In fact, I think there's even a quote in the Daily Journal of Commerce from the last interviews we did where they quoted Alan Keyser, the assistant business manager, as saying that, you know, it's similar to wiring up any facility or a liquor store or anything. We don't care what its actually end product is going to be, whether it's federally legal or not. I know we're federal unions, but guess what? In our state, it's completely legal, and we're going to do it. Rightfully so. And rightfully so. And, of course, at some point, the Fed's going to uh, move on their stance, and we'll see even more traction. Well, with legalization coming with this November, I mean, we have 10 more states potentially that have recreational legalization, and I think upward to 25, 27 states voting on some sort of decriminalization, a medical program, or recreational. Yeah. Um, So it's exciting. It (laughs) It really is. The numbers are staggering as to what this is going to do across America. Frightening for the perspective of we know exactly how many people are going to be calling us compared to how many are currently. So, um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, no, I think it's really a massive positive from the angle that there is just so much recognition now, and the force behind it is so sizable and near the unstoppable. Like, I had no idea until we actually started talking to the unions, how much the AFL-CIO political action wing was capable of doing. And it's a... An amazing lobbying group. It's incredible. They made the calls. They literally got us in front of the right people. I mean, they've been pushing the ball forward and making sure, yes, this is going to get represented properly. And the piece that no one realizes is your inspectors are normally union members. Every single electrical inspector in existence that I'm aware of has been an IBW individual, mm-hmm. trade union members, all the mechanical inspectors division, 
are UA members on average. Sure. So it's very interesting, like the connectivity into the jurisdiction and the connectivity, in, it basically is a fully closed loop when you start looking at the system. The fact that it started at the top with this is positive, we're going to push for legalization, we're going to push for making this industry happen, has now trickled all the way down. And the effects behind it are staggering in, in, in contrast to California. So right. Oregon has been one of the most positive environments we've ever been in. We've had inspectors here approve absolutely everything, happily shake the hands of the growers, approve the facility, get them operational. We've had other states, um, particularly California in, 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 is one of the standout ones, yeah. where the growers, because of the environment they created through guerrilla growing, through the nearly you know black market, gray, black market activities, created an incredibly negative system with the JHA. The sure. jurisdiction having authority. So those inspectors would very often show up and have a very different stance on what they were looking at. And they knew this wasn't a row of dil drill presses or uh, a kiln facility. You know, a lot of these things were basically being pulled. The permits for them said something that was very much different than the reality for the actual facility. Of and course. There's a lot of that that um, is not happening here, and it's really, really nice to see. So uh, a couple more questions because uh, we're short on time. Today at the expo, you were speaking uh, and and educating a room full of people on the ins and outs of uh, the engineering and um, how to be successful. And you were giving them some great information. I mean, we, there was a good fifty plus people in the room, and you know, engineering conversation isn't the most exciting. <laughs> but everybody was riveted, like they were on the edge of their seat wanting to soak up the information that you have for them and and it's because this is an emerging economy they you know they're running into obstacles they don't want to fall into a position where they're having to fix things after they're up and running because that's incredibly expensive to revamp your entire hvac system because you went at it wrong and you just can't fix where you're at mm. so um what kind of advice do you have for our listeners um, as to how to start off right, like the first steps? The first steps are really doing a massive amount of homework. And rather than listening to the, uh, you know, consultancies are fabulous. Sometimes they're really, really invaluable. Sometimes they're getting a uh, payment. So, I mean, I think the first thing to go with is to do the best research and homework you can, including on your consultants. Finding out, hey, are you going to be getting a profit from recommending that product? Th there's some really interesting connectivity in the cannabis sector right now where a lot of salespeople have realized they can sell a lot of uh, systems and equipment that are really not appropriate. And having an unbiased entity that is your entity that is not receiving profit from their recommendations is absolutely invaluable. So there's a lot of um, sales and marketing to sift through. There's a lot of research to be done. But the biggest one is really look at big ag. Just look at the sector that closely, the most closely resembles the one you're in and talk to people in big ag. Tour big ag, basil farmers, tomato farmers, microgreens. Really go on those tours and look at what those industries have done as they're ramping and realize that you know, your facility is probably going to end up looking a little bit closer to that than anything else. And maybe you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are different set points and different requirements, but realistically, a lot of this data is already out there, and a lot of the data in the cannabis sector, unfortunately, involves quite a bit of salesmanship. Sure so it's is. really invaluable to have someone on your side and also just do your research. Oh, and one more thing. I think uh, the planning phase, uh, make a double. 
<laughs> whatever your planning phase is, uh, if it's just four months, try, try for eight. And uh, you can't go wrong having a longer planning phase on any project. Do your due diligence. Make sure all the numbers make sense before you pull the trigger on ordering anything, buying the property, anything. Just really look into it. And if you spend double on your planning budget, you'll have saved a couple hundred percent off of your actual project. The rule of double. Double <laughs> your money and double your time. <laughs> it might be close. Um, speaking of big ag, uh, what do you see for industrial cultivation of cannabis? Well, interestingly enough, most states are intelligently addressing uh, big ag in a large way. So we see a lot of states, similar to Oregon, having canopy requirements. Mm-hmm. And they are very intentionally limiting and restricting the introduction of massive commercial entities. And that is an attempt to make the homegrown environment, the medical establishment that's in that state, flourish. That's a very nice attempt. So I I think most states that I've seen um, have had some version of that or another. And that is actually a very positive thing, because otherwise you'd see a clean sweep. The entire cannabis industry would basically, all the small operators would be gone in half a second. Large outside entities would come in and basically just take over. They still are to a small extent, but now they're coming in as minority stakeholders in an existing operation, hopefully delivering some invaluable business information and maybe a little bit of capital, which is a great way of doing it. So it it basically keeps the industry alive and keeps the local operators running. Um, Big ag, as long as it keeps getting addressed, or big cannabis, I guess you could call it, Mm -hmm. uh, I believe it's very difficult for it to take a solid foothold. However, California will be the big testing ground. So once California comes off, we're really going to find out how the industry is going to go because, well, we came from California. Any right. other entity that's, you know, started with Prop 215 came from California, and that's basically most of us. So it's... Um, I think most people forget that it started with California. 19 years ago. That yeah. was the birthplace of uh, our entire company, and I, that was the first project we did, which uh, it, it basically harkens back to realizing the origin and then also realizing the uh, sophistication and, of course, just how big it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. The Emerald Triangle is only at the tip of the iceberg. I mean, it, sure it really... Is. SoCal Sun is uh, is the largest factor, and I know you got to go in a second, but uh, we've been looking at greenhouse specs for years and years, doing all the calculations, doing all the math. It is an almost unbeatable combination looking at SoCal greenhouses, and there is going to be a time when people will have an opportunity to uh, invest in those or not, and it's going to be very interesting how the people writing the rules in California allow those licenses to be issued. Interesting. It will either completely kill cannabis uh, from the small perspective, or it will basically maintain kind of the uh, the homegrown microbrew concept that keeps seeming to seeming to be flourishing in each state on some level or another. Well, I think there's room for both, definitely. Definitely room. Uh, for but both. it's going to be proper legislation and policy making that's going to allow for that. Um, where can people, before we go, go to get more information about what you do and hybrid tech? Well, the best place would just be our website. I think uh, um, we've got most information up there. We, of course, have all the Twitter and all the other accoutrements as well. But, yeah, hybridtech.us, um, going there, looking at the videos, looking at all the different works that we've done. It is a little complex because it is a very technical thing, so there's a lot of uh, a lot less nifty looky-loo pictures and a lot more language. <laughs> Sure, <laughs> But there is most information there, and hopefully people can actually kind of distill that and what we actually do and what we can hopefully provide for them. Well, thanks for uh, being with us. Thanks for educating everyone here today. And uh, uh, everybody, if you want more information, get over to Hybrid Tech. Reach out to Dan, and he'll make it simple for all y'all. So thank you. Thank you.